Coming to you from St. Petersburg, Florida, you're listening to the St. Petersburg Foodies Podcast, the show that's the authority on where to eat in St. Pete. Here are your hosts, Kevin Godby and Lori Brown. Hi, I'm Kevin Godby. And I'm Lori Brown. Thank you for tuning in today. Welcome to the St. Petersburg Foodies Podcast, the podcast that's it when it comes to restaurants and food information in St. Pete. And be sure to check out our website, stpetersburgfoodies.com. There you'll find great information, including restaurant reviews, the largest St. Pete happy hour list ever created and kept updated, and information on the newest restaurants in town. We are locals that live in downtown St. Pete, and we've been eating our way through this town for years, so you don't have to, but you should. We have a new episode every Tuesday. Just hit the subscribe button and you'll get notified when an episode is ready for download. And then you can listen to them anytime you want, like on your morning jog or commute to work. On today's show, our featured guest is Melissa Santel from Food X Feels. Melissa does food photography, food styling, recipe development, restaurant marketing, and she has a new cookbook coming out. Kevin and I will also discuss some of the things going on with restaurants these days along with food delivery, and even a quirky cookie story. We We have have a great great show, so stick around. I love soup, and I'm always in search of a great soup. Ramen is just so complex and delicious with layers of complex flavors in its broth, Booyah Ramen is one of my favorite places in downtown St. Pete, so much so that I recently included them on my top five Asian noodle soups list for their pork belly ramen. Now, Booyah's success is not just about the ramen. It's a hip, upbeat environment meant for unwinding and socializing with house-crafted cocktails, a large selection of Japanese whiskey, and izakaya, too. Those are small plates of different types of appetizers that are delicious as well as the ramen. The ambiance of the place, along with the friendliness of the owners and staff, really adds to the character and charm of Booyah. And to add to its coolness, the owners are actually opening up four more stores, one in Miami and three in Berlin of all places. Yes, Berlin, Germany. How cool is that? Booyah Ramen is located at 911 Central Avenue in downtown St. Pete and is open seven days a week at 11 a.m. Do ya, Booyah? Before we have Melissa Santel on, Lori and I are going to just do a quick little roundup of a variety of things going on in the uh, pandemic world and restaurant world. And the first one I have is that there are big chain restaurants are fighting with their landlords for rent relief. Right. Now, the thing is, normally with, and I'm far from being an expert on commercial real estate, but I think the way it works, commercial leases go for like 10, 20 years or more. A lot of them do, yes. Yeah, so, and you're locked in, and there's no saying, oh, sorry, we have to change the deal. Well, restaurants are saying, there's this thing called force majeure. Yes. Which means like an act of- It's in residential contracts as well. Yeah, like an act of God or something, you know, of nature that's out of your control, and the restaurants are saying, this is force majeure. Mm -hmm. Rent negotiations are on the table, and landlords, of course, are saying the complete opposite. No, it's not, blah, blah, blah. Because typically force majeure is like a hurricane or a tornado or a storm. Earthquake. Yeah, earthquake. Something from nature. Well, I would say this is kind of the same thing. Totally. I agree. The thing that's kind of a bummer, though, is that the big chains have some muscle 
to negotiate. While at this, while they're doing this, at the same time, there are reports of independent mom and pop type mm-hmm. restaurants show up at their restaurant and the locks are changed. Right. They can't right. get in. Right. They don't have the muscle power that these big chains do, and it it really sucks. And I'm actually thrilled to see here in downtown St. Pete that we have had so many of our favorites, mom and pops and local restaurants that have managed to stay open during this crazy time. Yeah. And by the way, I'm getting some of this information from an article in the Wall Street Journal called Mm -hmm. Eateries Want Rent Relief. And one of the things it also says in here that's interesting is that Ruth Chris reported same store sales at its owned restaurants, not franchises, plunged 84% last month and said it's considering closing some company-owned locations. And then it says they're in regular contact with their landlords about abatements and lease modifications. So right. anyway, there's that. Well, yeah, and then on a positive note, early on, I think over a month ago, mm-hmm. might have still been end of March, early April, it was announced that a large landlord in St. Pete that has several different properties that have restaurants on them, let them not pay rent right. at all, right? which is good. Yes. And then there's other places that are bars. I know of a, I'm not mentioning any names on any of this stuff, but there's a prominent downtown bar, which bars have not been able to open at all at any right. capacity. Correct. And the landlord is still making them pay full rent. Right. When they have zero business. It's a trickle down effect. I've said that from the beginning. Yeah. And it's, it's, it's it, a mess. It's a domino effect. And there's some people that just say, oh, well, sorry, the domino effect doesn't apply to me. Well, you're just making it worse. Right. Exactly. You know, if you have the means to help. Help. Yeah. For God's sake. Also, interesting thing I've noticed the past couple of weeks, when I'm scrolling through Facebook, I'm seeing more and more posts from restaurants saying, hey, we're hiring. We're looking for servers. We're looking for bartenders. Mm -hmm. And that's kind of uh, so interesting because there's all these headlines about unemployment, worst unemployment numbers ever, blah, 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 blah. Right. So I think in some cases... Well, the people that actually did get unemployment, which, of course, we know here in Florida, that's kind of a joke. But the people that did get unemployment, they're making more now than they would if they went back or, to work. And why should they risk their right. risk themselves? Right. It's also a matter of risk. Right. There's the lower capacity at the restaurants. They're mm-hmm. going to make less money. And then there's also the health risk. Yes. It's easier to sit on the couch and collect a check. Right. And then also related to that, there was another thing I, I read recently that the Florida unemployment glitches and screw-ups. Worst ever. We're number one as far as worst glitches in the country. Yep. That, leave it to Florida. We'll right. probably have a vote recount again this year, too. Yeah. Jeez. Oh, <laughs> Sorry. Don't I don't that. mean to predict it, but the way 2020 is going. <laughs> and interestingly, I'm sure it's no surprise to anybody that in this pandemic time, food delivery from the food delivery services is at an all-time high. Right. However, they're still not making any money. It's like the only thing food delivery services are benefiting are the consumers, like us when we order food. Right. Because it's it, so competitive. The, the food delivery companies aren't making money because it's so competitive that they have to, to, they have to steal customers by offering discounts and free, st- free delivery. But then even though they're charging the restaurants, I think, up to 30%, mm-hmm, right. and the restaurants aren't making any money the because of that. The restaurants complain about it constantly, like, like they're stealing from them, but then the food delivery companies aren't making any money, so it does benefit us, mainly. Yeah. Yeah. So Uber Eats reportedly 
since January has been in negotiations to merge with or buy Grubhub, mm. which is the number two. So number one nationwide is DoorDash. Right. And we could do a whole story about them. Yeah, I don't want to go there. They, they I don't st- use DoorDash or Grubhub ever. Yeah, well, we don't like DoorDash. A lot of restaurants don't like them either because they don't say, hey, let's work out a deal. We can be a delivery no service. No contracts are signed. They just put them up yeah, there. Yeah, they just scrape their menus from the internet and put them on there. Mm-hmm. Uh, which is a really crappy thing to do, but now Grubhub started doing that too because DoorDash is doing it. It's, it's the race. It's it's the race to compete. So DoorDash is number one. Mm-hmm. Grubhub's number two. Right. So if Uber Eats can merge with Grubhub, they'll take over as number one. But you know, there's all these different. There's a whole bunch of other delivery apps out there, and they're saying in the end, when it all shakes out, the market can really probably only support three to four. Right. Four tops. Well, it seems like that's all there is anyway. Those are the main ones that, you know, yeah. like, like Bite, Bite Squad, which we love here locally, and mm-hmm. they, they got a good foothold locally because they bought um, Tan, right. Tanner's business. Yes, was, um, Food Now. Food Now. And they actually have actual employees. Mm-hmm. They don't have slave contract laborers. Mm-hmm. And we like them a lot. And we, th- we right. think they do a good job. Nine ninety nine a month, and the, it's delivery from the, anywhere for free. The thing is, out of all the food delivery articles I read in business stuff in Wall Street Journal... Bite Squad gets mentioned maybe 5% of the time. Mm. Well, they're not nationwide like Grubhub. Right, and, right. And so these, guys, these guys are huge. Right. But, you know, it's easy to be huge when you're losing money hand over fist. Right. right. You know? Yep. I'll be impressed when you make money. None of it makes any sense. And Uber's just losing money left and right anyway, even just with their ride oh, service. So the, they've laid off so many employees. Oh, they're, they're, they're closing, uh, it was announced the other, or last week that they're closing like uh, two to three dozen offices. Right. Laying off, I think, three thousand people. Yeah. No, and they laid off three thousand more. Mm-hmm. So it's it's been on the on the ride hailing side. Yes. Yeah. And even though they're not really making money on food delivery, it's the only thing keeping them going right we now. We haven't been in an Uber in two and a half months, practically now. Yeah. Two exactly. months. So we'll end with a kind of a quirky cookie story, as Lori said earlier. <laughs> so we've probably heard in the news, and I don't want to get too political here, but there's an old malaria drug that some people think can help prevent coronavirus. Hydroxychloroquine. Good. Glad you said it and not me. It's because I've heard it on the news like 5 million thousand times. So <laughs> because of that, you know, it seems like it's it's hard to spell. Not mm-hmm. everybody can spell it. They'll start to type it into Google. And here it says this here. Perhaps it was autocomplete or maybe people were just unsure how to spell hydro... Hydroxychloroquine. But Google searches for Hydrox cookies took off immediately. The cookies are similar to Oreos, but were discontinued by Kellogg in 2003. They're, they're back now, I think, because it says here, also, another thing that, what's his number? 45. 45 said, he lambasted Oreo maker Mondelez for moving some jobs to Mexico. He said, I love Oreos, and I'll never eat them again, he said in a 2015 campaign rally. And there was a brief campaign to boycott the brand, and the lookalike was revived by Leaf Brands that same year. The very first question on Hydrox's Amazon page, do these cookies help make America great again? Oh, God. Possibly. (laughs) But Amazon lists Hydrox as only the 26th best-selling sandwich cookie with 18 varieties of Oreos ahead of it. Oreos aren't going anywhere. Sorry, Hydrox. (laughs) But at least you don't need a prescription to eat it. Right, right, right. (laughs) After this word from our sponsors, we will be right back with Melissa Santel. Have you been to Pacific Counter? 
It is one of the newest fast casual concepts located on one of the fastest growing blocks in St. Pete, the 600 block of Central Avenue. They offer build your own bowls, burritos, or salads with a variety of the freshest bases, toppings, and sauces to satisfy anyone's craving and put you in charge. There are actually 6,432,189 combinations possible. Overwhelmed by Build Your Own? I know that I sometimes am. Well, you can also choose from their counter creations menu already picked for you. The first couple of times we ate there, that's exactly what I did. Then I decided to get adventurous. For bases, they offer sushi rice, brown rice, noodles, or greens. Sushi rice seems to be the norm, but I'm not a big rice person, so I finally tried the noodles, and to say I fell in love is an understatement. They are actually sweet potato noodles, I found out later, and I have no idea how they make them seem like rice noodles. I added fresh tuna and salmon, my choice of toppings and a sauce, which I didn't even need because the bowl was so good without it. I told Kevin I could eat this every day and I would probably lose weight and love it at the same time. If you haven't checked out Pacific Counter, I would highly recommend it. They are open for lunch and dinner, have a variety of unique alcoholic and non-alcoholic drink options, and they have the beloved Dole Whip. Find your fresh at Pacific Counter. Pacific Counter is located at 660 Central Avenue in downtown St. Pete. They are open 11 a.m. to 10 p.m. Sunday through Thursday and 11 a.m. to midnight on Friday and Saturday. Please welcome food photographer, food and beverage marketing consultant, and cookbook author, Mel Melissa Santel. Welcome, Welcome, Mel. Hi. Thank you so much for having me. We're glad that we could finally get you on. You actually were almost our last in-studio interview right back in March, but then everything went to heck. Yeah. I guess I could say hell. Well, that one was scheduled for the day Sportsmageddon took place, right? Yes. You would have been on in March, but now here we are, end of May. We finally got you. You've been busy. <laughs> you have a cookbook that is just coming out now, correct? Yes. Yes, I do. It's been my baby for a little over a year and a half. So it's so exciting to finally be able to share it with everyone. And Jenna Ryman Snyder, am I saying her last name correctly? Uh, Ryman Snyder. Ryman Snyder. She uh, is actually just recently the former food and drink editor at Creative Loafing, but she uh, had had a hand in that in the cookbook with you. What what was her role? Yeah. So Jenna and I have worked really closely together. Just a little bit of background at Creative Loafing. So I've actually done a lot of the contract food photography for Creative Loafing. So when I started writing the cookbook, I instantly knew that I wanted and needed Jenna to be the editor. So she edited all the copy in the book and was kind of my sidekick along the way. I'm really grateful to have her. And you also do uh, photography for restaurants and whatnot. And we're going to get into that more after the break, but we'd like to learn more about you. I, here's, here's all I know for now, that you are originally from New York and you went to University of Tampa. Yes. Yes. So, so you grew up uh, where in New York? So I am actually, my entire family were huge Italian family, originally from Long Island. So I was born there, lived there for a couple of years and grew up in upstate New York and Corning. Uh-huh. Okay. Oh, wow. Upstate New York is beautiful. Yeah, yeah. It is so gorgeous in the summer and the fall, and the winter just lasts forever, but it makes oh, you appreciate right. the other seasons so much more. So did you have any Italian family traditions growing up? 
Oh, yeah. Sunday sauces were a huge thing, <laughs> of course. And with living in upstate New York, you know, it's cold the majority of the year. So if it wasn't a Sunday sauce and it was something like a slow cooked Sunday soup, mm-hmm. but we would. Where you get to smell it all day. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. My dad was was the one in the kitchen, too, usually on the soup or sauce duty. So it was awesome to be able to grow up with that being a tradition in my family. Yeah, Lori laughed a little bit there when you, when you said the Sunday sauce because I grew up that way as well. <laughs> so she's heard my stories. Right. Yeah. Well, they call it Sunday gravy somewhere else, yeah. other spots of the country too. Yeah, but yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah, same thing. So, and would you go into uh, the city much? You know, it's really interesting. So the reason why we moved from Long Island to upstate New York was because my father's parents were starting a manufacturing company. So they were manufacturing shelving and walking coolers and they had restaurants and huge grocery stores as their main clients and manufacturing facilities as well. Um, And yeah, the other half of my family, my mom's side stayed in Long Island in Manhattan. So we very often went, went to the city, went back to Long Island. So I have a lot of fond memories of of both places growing up. Do you have any favorite restaurants in Manhattan or upstate? Oh, this is so hard. So I actually, (laughs) when I graduated from University of Tampa, I stayed in Tampa for a bit. And then I, I felt robbed of my lack of city time. You know, everyone in my family seemed to have gotten it. So I was working for a couple of years here as the director of marketing for Big Brothers Big Sisters and my first job out of college. And then one day I was like, this is unfair. So I'm just going to pack my car up and I'm going to drive by myself to Manhattan and I'm going to live there. And I did that. Awesome. (laughs) Wow. For how how long? I was there for about two years. Nice. That's very cool. We, We should do that. Yeah, we should. Yeah, I think we should wait till after this whole thing's over first. Yeah. (laughs) Yes, 110%. (laughs) But yeah, there's so many amazing restaurants in New York, but I lived right above Contra, which is one of my favorite tasting menu restaurants on the planet. Nice. Uh, Yeah, it's it's just, it's amazing. It's only a tasting menu. you know, it has seven courses with swing courses that you can add on like cheese and, you know, other, other things that they have and create for that dinner service. So I, yeah, love- I think New York is one of the places that tasting menus started. Yeah. You know, it's really interesting because living there, I also realized that there's a lot of people who don't like tasting menus and I love them. So, oh, we do too. Yeah. Yeah. You get to try more stuff. Yeah, yeah, and I think it's just a, a more personable dining experience. You know, you're you're getting more of like an intimate um, interaction with people who are actually explaining everything in each dish and maybe where the origin of certain ingredients um, or even the inspiration. So for me, it's, it's like kind of kind of like going to a dinner party and eat, eating in someone's home and. Yeah. Yeah. It always impresses me too when the servers remember so much information. I'm like, how do you remember all this stuff? Right, right. No, it's pretty, pretty awesome. And I also, yesterday, was reading an article that was posted uh, about your cookbook in Spoon University. And in there, I read that when you were at uh, University of Tampa, that you were a food critic. 
I was, I actually, so I was, I studied journalism and communications at the University of Tampa. And part of the journalism program requires you to work at the campus newspaper, of course, naturally. So when I started, there was no food critic role. So I had them carve out the role for me. <laughs> and nice. I hope that it's still a thing. Um, I hope someone kept it alive after I left. But yeah, I, I loved Loved, loved, loved. I think the first restaurant that I reviewed was Osteria Navalina on McDill, which to this day still love that place. So good. We Very haven't cool. we haven't been there yet, but we've been told. Yes. Yes. And have you have you been to Olivia yet? Yeah. Yep. We loved it. Yeah, it's beautiful inside. I love the interior. Their approach to food is is so amazing. I actually shot there before all the COVID-19 happened. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I shot there for creative loafing. So it was nice. cool to have like a guest experience once and then kind of a behind the scenes experience a second time. Right. Yeah. Very cool. Yeah. We were, we were impressed with the service, the food, the decor, everything. Yeah. And we don't, we don't get, we don't get over to Tampa much. And we, for the most part for our business, we concentrate on St. Pete, but every once in a while we'll have an event or something across the bridge. My son goes to school in Tampa, so whenever he has events, we go over there and do, do a dinner. That's awesome. What's your favorite restaurant in Tampa? Hmm. Olivia's definitely a contender. What was the last one we went to? Was Olivia? Yeah, it was. On <laughs> memory. <laughs> Bur Burns is always iconic. Unfortunately, our last experience there wasn't so awesome, but we'll be back for sure. And then I love the the restaurant. I think it's, it's at the, is it Elevage or... Mm. There's the restaurant across the street from Burns. It's owned by Burns. It's in the hotel. Yes. The yes. Big Fork outside. Um, I forget I, the name of it. It starts with an E. It does. Uh, oh, well. <laughs> It'll come to us. I, I think that you're right that it's Elevage. Yeah, I think that that's what it is. But okay. we've, we've eaten there a couple of times. We really enjoyed it. Mm -hmm. So let's take a quick break, and then we're going to come back and get into some juicy details on food stuff and photography and all that. We will be right back. I am so hungry right now. I'm going to go to Noble Crust. What? You've never been? No way. Check this out. They do both food from the South and Italian, and they do an amazing job at both. They have some of the best fried chicken, and the eggplant parmesan is out of this world. The fried green tomatoes are not like anyone else's. They call it the FGBLT, but I think they should call it the OMG because it has Tabasco honey pork belly and pimento cheese. And it's the first item on the menu, so you can't miss it. Noble Crust also made six of St. Pete Foodie's best of list. Best Italian, casual dining, best pizza, Bloody Mary's, meatballs, and best salads. If Noble Crust is already one of your favorites, then I have good news. They're expanding their service hours. Starting on February 7th, they'll be open for lunch on Fridays. And they'll start opening on Mondays for dinner starting February 10th. As always, on Saturday and Sunday, there's an awesome brunch starting at 10.30, and the deviled eggs are one of my favorites. The St. Pete location is on 4th Street North and 83rd, and they also have locations in Carrollwood and Wesley Chapel. You can check hours and menus at noble-crust.com. Noble Crust is a must for your next lunch, brunch, or dinner. One of our favorite places to go eat in St. Pete is Engine Number no. 9. They've been a staple in downtown St. Pete coming up on seven years. 
and they are famous for their unique and tasty burger creations. As a matter of fact, they are on the St. Pete Foodies list of best burgers in St. Pete. They also made the best hot dogs list, the best chilies, and the best wings in St. Pete. Aside from the food, Engine Number no. 9 is a great sports bar with lots of TVs, beer, and wine. And you can even get a regular old cheeseburger, too, so you can bring your non-adventurous eater friends. Check out Engine Number no. 9 at the corner of MLK and 1st Avenue North in downtown St. Pete. Their burgers can't be beat. We are back with Melissa Mel Santel from Food X Fields, and you do some awesome food photography. And you did mention that you have been doing food photography for Creative Loafing, but you also are available. And correct me if I'm wrong. If you're too, maybe you're too busy, but to do <laughs> food photography for restaurants. Yes, absolutely. Food photography for restaurants at any scale is definitely my happy place. I love working with chefs to concept and creatively dream through an aesthetic for any restaurant. And just definitely something that you're, you're, you're having this idea and you're bringing it to life almost instantaneously. So it's just something that I, I love. I love that so much. So, okay, I'm, I'm going to put you on the spot here. So with, in this day and age with iPhones and how amazing their cameras are, why should someone hire a specialty food photographer for their restaurant? Oh, you know, so I, I talk to clients about this all the time, actually. A few different reasons. So when I partner with a restaurant for a photo shoot, there are there's a huge creative process that's involved. So coupled with my marketing and branding background that is infused into every single client relationship that I have. So we work through what the goals are for the photo shoot, what colors, what branding needs to be, um, what pops of branding should be included in the shoot. And then I would say that the biggest thing that differentiates a photographer from someone with an iPhone is that we know how to style. We know how to style a shot. We know how to style food. And we're, you know, understanding angles, lighting, depth of field, all of that. Like, that's that's what we do, you know? Like, that's that's our expertise. So we definitely bring a different skill set to the table. Right, absolutely. And anybody listening, if they don't know what all of those things mean, like depth of field and angles, go look at Melissa's photos then you'll get it because you know there's there's a lot of you know restaurants make can make some great food that looks beautiful they plate it really nice and mm-hmm. you can take a picture of it and it looks really good because they made great food that they played it very well but then mm-hmm. if you compare it do a side by side with a photo that like you would do you can see a definite difference right and with the oh yeah you know and it's it's competitive out there too it is. And food photos, man, I'll tell you, I mean, I mean, we, I'm nowhere near as good as you are, but we take food photos and we post them and that drives people in. Every time we post food photos on Facebook, people are like, oh my God, that looks so good. I'm going there. Right. 
Yeah, yeah, your your photos are awesome. I'm I'm oh, the stylist. You. Yeah, Lori, Lori just put <laughs> yeah. the style. Yes. So, along with the food photography, you offer some other services as well. Yes. So I have a strategic marketing background. So basically, what that means is I specialize in everything from branding conception to creating a social media or marketing strategy that helps drive key messaging of your business that attracts new guests. So there's a a huge strategy behind marketing. I feel like sometimes people just think like marketing is just writing a social media post (laughs) or, you know, sending an email, like promoting yourself. And it's just, there's so much more to, to marketing. So I help clients work through basically how to be seen, where they should be seen, and then getting people, getting asses in seats, you know, (laughs) for restaurants. That is our main role. Right, (laughs) exactly. You should should put that on your business card. We get asses in seats. (laughs) (laughs) Just kidding. I actually should. (laughs) And you also, uh, your parents are opening a new restaurant called Santelli, yes? Yes. And you're also doing the the menu planning and recipe testing for that as well. Yes. So that's actually been something really fun that we've been doing in the quarantine, which I'm affectionately referring to as in the queue. (laughs) So while we've been in the queue, we have been doing tons of just branding work, dreaming through the design concept. And then, of course, you know, experimenting with recipe development, um, you know, picking out plates, flatware, everything. So it's it's been really awesome. I mean, it's, it's definitely grounded in my family, so it feels very personal, and a lot of the Sunday sauce vibes are going <laughs> on there too. That's awesome. So, where is uh, Santelli going to be located? So, it's actually going to be in Odessa, um, right off of Fifty Four. It's in one of the new Publix plazas, and forgive me, I'm a terrible daughter because I don't know the. Exact <laughs> oh, that's <address>. okay. <laughs> um, we can Google um, it. But, but um, as like a North Star point, it is right outside of the Starkey Ranch development. Okay, okay. cool. And that, and again, obviously, another thing that you bring to the table is so there's the photography, the branding, all that menu planning. But you also create your own recipes. Obviously, you have a cookbook, and you cook. I see photos of you cooking I quite do. frequently. How many other restaurant marketing people actually cook? It's actually funny. You would think that everybody would, but they don't. Right. It's true. Yeah. Cooking is something that I've loved since I was really young. So it's definitely, you know, the backbone of my inspiration and where I want to be. And what's the name of your cookbook that's coming out? My cookbook is called Hi, I'm Hungry. (laughs) <laughs> and is, it does it have a focus <laughs> is it an italian focused or um the inspiration is all across the board i wouldn't say that it's like globally inspired as far as flavors go there's definitely a lot of heavy italian undertones and i would say elevated comfort food may be a, a, a solid classification but it, it's been such a fun journey and it's just like I said before, it's like it's my baby, so it's, it's exciting. We can still order it, or are you sold out already? 
<laughs> so I've actually extended the pre-sales due to COVID-19. All of the publishing houses and printing houses that I'm currently working with are pushed back. So I've extended the pre-sale to June 15th and the book is available on my website at foodxfeels.com. Right. So it's food, letter X, feels, F-E-E-L-S.com, foodxfeels. Yes. So can I get a signed copy? Yeah, you can get a signed <laughs> copy. <laughs> I'm actually um, going to be delivering, hand delivering the first hundred copies. So if you're local, then place that order and I will deliver it to you. Contact list, safe delivery. Order, order as soon as we're done here. Yeah. <laughs> How many recipes are in there? Um, the, so the book is 196 pages. Mm-hmm. Cool. I have not counted the recipes. Oh my God, I need to count the recipes. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I would say like there's, I mean, there's a lot of recipes. Um, every chapter is a mixture between sweet and savory. So I would say like the unique, the most unique part about the book is the concept and how it's, it's categorized. Um, so instead of all of the chapters being like meat, pasta, vegetables, <laughs> etc., they're classified as life moments. So there's chapters cool. when you're hosting a brunch party or what to eat when you're wildly hungover or <laughs> you know, what to make when you want to impress your friends at a dinner party. So that's cool. I love that. Yeah, that's awesome. Yes. And so again, the title is Hi, I'm Hungry. And the subtitle is Recipes inspired by everyday moments, which is what you just described. Very cool. So we occasionally have uh, chefs from different restaurants on, and we have a what we call the lightning round for chefs. Okay. And we'd like to do that with you. Awesome. So basically, it's either or questions and where you try a quick answer. Okay. You ready? Yes. Olive oil or butter? Olive oil. Lemon or lime? Lemon. Regarding pickles, dill or sweet? Ooh, definitely dill. Good. <laughs> yes. Thai or Indian? Thai. Bacon or sausage? Bacon. <laughs> <laughs> Cheddar or Swiss? Cheddar, 110%. Ketchup or mustard? Ooh. <laughs> I wouldn't be an American if I didn't say ketchup. <laughs> <laughs> ribeye or filet mignon? Ooh, ribeye. All day. Pork tenderloin or spare ribs? Mm. Spare ribs. Good answer. Yeah. She answered almost exactly I think, as I would I th- have. I think, I, yeah. <laughs> Some oh, of the butter. Oh, wait. I, I, missed, I missed this one. Ranch or blue cheese? Oh, blue cheese. Okay. <laughs> All right. We're, we can definitely be friends now. Yes. Are we ready to host a dinner party together then? <laughs> <laughs> so also your Instagram is Mel Santel, M-E-L. S-A-N-T-E-L-L. You also have on Facebook, you, you have a page, Melissa Santel. Mm-hmm. And again, the website is foodxfeels.com. Yes. Did I leave anything out? No, I think you nailed it. <laughs> Yay. Well, thank you so much, Melissa. It's been a pleasure having you on. We've been waiting for a while to get you. Yes, thank you. Thank you, guys. It was wonderful chatting with you, and I'm excited to see you in person someday soon. We can't wait. We'll be right back. This is Tyson Grant from Park Shore Grill, and you're listening to the St. Petersburg Foodies Podcast. In St. Petersburg, restaurants are still at 50% capacity, and breweries are now open as well. 
more restaurants are opening every day, and we're maintaining a huge list for St. Pete on who's open and what they're offering, such as dine-in, inside and outside seating, delivery, and takeout. We've been updating it every day. And why is our list the best one? We have the only list that covers St. Pete, downtown, north, west, Tyrone to Pasadena, also including Gulfport and St. Pete Beach. We provide the complete address, website link, hours and days of operation, whether they offer inside, outside, takeout, or delivery, and nobody else has that information on their so-called list of what's open. And we also just made all of the phone numbers tap to call. We're the only one with that as well. To find it, go to stpetersburgfoodies.com, and it's linked right at the top of the homepage, or you can Google Restaurants Open St. Pete May 2020. We rank number one for that, as we should. Next week on the show, we have Nick Reposardi from the VIP Mexican Restaurant and Lounge. They won Best Mexican Restaurant in the St. Petersburg Foodies Restaurant Awards. If you'd like to email us, just send it to info at stpetersburgfoodies.com. That's it for this episode of the St. Petersburg Foodies Podcast. Thanks for listening. Thanks to our guest, Mel Santel. And thanks to our sponsors. Noble Crust. Pacific Counter. Booyah Ramen. And and Engine Engine Number number nine. 9. Our announcer is Candace Aviles from Meet the Chef and Channel 10 News. And our theme music is provided by the Chris Walker Band. We'd like to remind you to check out all the latest restaurant reviews, foodies news, top 10 lists, and updated happy hours on stpetersburgfoodies.com. Please give us a rating and review on whichever app you're using to listen to the show. And remember to share the show with your foodie friends. Until Until next time, time, may your food be hot and your bubbly cold. Why don't you take a picture? It'll last longer. Uh-uh. <laughs>